0: Our text today is in Luke chapter number 7, Luke chapter number 7, as we continue working through the life of Christ, leading us up to the Easter season. Luke chapter 7, my mother died in the year 2000, so so was my family gathered in from all over the country to attend and participate in a memorial service for which we all sang songs that mom would have liked. My sister and I spoke at the service. We talked about mom and her life and what she taught us about life. We talked about her rewards in heaven. We talked about the debilitating disease that eventually took her life. And we had a private burial with the family. And I guess you could say we sent her off in a grand way and celebrated her life. Uh, Some people went home after the service, but there were still people here the next day. So we gathered at my house and we were sitting down to a nice meal together. My oldest sister always used to say that when we all get together, that we had a lot of energy, stimulating conversation with challenging wit. And I remember we were sitting around the table laughing, enjoying each other's company. And all of a sudden, my father stood up, burst into tears, and left the house. Obviously, he was feeling very sad, about losing mom. And his emotional outburst was uncharacteristic. And we were all sitting at the table just looking at each other. With nothing we could say that we hadn't already said, it was clear to us that dad's sorrow of heart was too deep for us to address with words. So there we were, my brother who was Dr. Olson, my sister, psychologist Olson, and Pastor Olson, with no words that could touch the sadness of Dad's heart. Sometimes there is a sorrow so deep that it has no remedy, usually felt when we lose someone we love. And I have often felt a hopelessness Because words aren't much help in those situations. Last week, we went to visiting hours for our old friend that passed away, Ed Gross. And when I arrived at the calling hours, everyone was just standing there. So I went up to his wife to talk with her. And just as I got up to her, a minister that was there stood up to read. And he read about four or five pages out of a book, prepared words written by some Episcopal author. And he read for about five minutes. And when he finished, I couldn't remember one thing he said. And I turned to Renee, his wife, and she was very sad and I could see that all those fancy words hadn't been of any help at all. Those words didn't touch her sorrow. and I really had no words to offer. I just said, he's in a very good place now. And she was sad, and a book full of words were no help at all. In our text today, we come on a sad situation, and words Once again, they're almost useless. But there's a strange meeting in our text. So before we dig into the text, there's a question that I would pose to you all about Jesus. And here it is. When Jesus was here on earth, do you think he knew the future? Well, obviously, he knew he was going to die for the sins of the world. Did he just know it? Or did he learn it from reading the Old Testament? From the Old Testament, he could even have learned that his hands and feet were going to be pierced. And I'm sure he learned about his future work From passages like Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. And such words as he will make his soul an offering for sin. So he knew what his mission here on earth was and what it would ask of him. But did he know what was going to happen two hours from now? Did he know what was around the corner waiting for him? I don't think he did. The Bible says he was in all points tempted like we are. So in order to uh, be like we be and live like we live, he would not know what a day would bring forth. As humans, we have an experience. We respond to it emotionally. It causes us to feel something. And then we take some action that's driven by our emotions. Jesus did the same thing. So as we read our text, we start from the position that what we see unfold was not planned ahead of time. It was a surprise for everyone involved, even Jesus. Now as we read the story, we see two separate events totally unconnected, and, we, and those two events are about to collide. Luke chapter 7, I begin reading at verse number 11. It came to pass a day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. So the day before, Jesus was in Capernaum. By the Sea of Galilee. Now it says the next day, the day after, he's going to a place called Nain. And that's a long walk. It's about 25 miles from Capernaum. That would probably take all day to walk. So Jesus and his disciples, and says a group of people described as much people are walking from Capernaum the 25 miles to Nain on this day. Obviously, Jesus is the main attraction. He's so exciting to be with that people abandon their daily activities and they just go with Him wherever He goes. So would I if He was here. So would you. To see the blind made to see, huh? to see the leper made clean, to see the lame walk, and to hear the best sermons ever preached. Oh yes, let's go with Jesus. Wherever He goes, even if we have to walk all day to some place nobody even cares about called Maine. It doesn't matter where you are. Jesus is exciting and the main attraction. So there's part one as Jesus and this group walks to Nain. Now part two, verse 12. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. In the city of Nain is a very tragic event. And once again, Luke gives us a lot of information in one sentence. Probably the day before, or maybe sometime even in the night, one of the citizens of Nain, a young man, has died. And even though he's still young and strong, some disease has afflicted him and sapped away all his youthful strength, and he has lost the battle and died. But adding to that tragedy is the fact that his mother was a widow. Sometime earlier, this woman had lost her husband. And all she had left was this one son. And so now she's lost her only son. In Israel, there are no social services. There are no government-sponsored programs. The only social services are provided by family. And now the young son, who was to be the support system for the widow, has died, leaving her with no means of support. And so the death of her son has consequences for which she has no remedy. In the warm climate, it's necessary to bury a body quickly. The plans need to be made. A funeral procession must be planned. The burial site is a couple miles outside of town, and there are certain things to be done. Two flute players must be hired to play sad music as the funeral procession marches along. A speaker, an announcer-type person, will also walk with the coffin and speak out loud the virtues of the young man who has passed away. Mourners will walk and wail as they move towards a cemetery. And as the procession starts, people from the city of Nain will leave their homes and respectfully join the procession. The body must be carried to the cemetery. It's a couple of miles. So pallbearers must be ready to carry the body for a ways and then change places with others when the load becomes too heavy. But there's something else that adds to the drama of the funeral procession. It is the Jewish belief that when a person dies the soul of that person lingers over the body for three days. And so to appease that lingering soul and to convince that lingering soul that they were truly loved and sorely missed, loud cries were used, long laments, with much weeping and wailing. And so it would be such a funeral procession would be loud and very emotional. The body was most likely placed in what we would call today a wicker basket, used for caskets in those days, and carried through the streets open so they could see the person who had died. That was the custom in Israel at the time. Funeral processions were accompanied with loud laments, flute music, Speakers proclaiming the virtues of the dead. The body carried in a basket as a prominent focus of the procession. Movement was slow as the people proceeded toward the cemetery. Now, my friends, it all sounds unusual and dramatic to you and me. But to these people in that culture, quite normal. Just like last week, I stood by a coffin next to the widow and listened to a man reading from a book that didn't seem to touch the real sorrow. Just like my father, all the music and all the words and all the memories could not console or alleviate the sorrow he felt. So I think that day in Nain... All the music and all the wailing and all the crowds of people did nothing to touch the sorrow of that widow woman who lost her sweet boy, her last relative, her only son. And as she walks behind the casket, she aches inside from a broken heart with a sorrow that no funeral procession can touch. And now the procession, moving slowly, is just coming out of the gates of the little town called Nain. It's a sad and emotional, self-absorbed group on their way to a burial. Remember, we also have another group of people. Jesus is the center of attention in that group. And they have been walking most of the day And no doubt Jesus has been talking with them as he always did, teaching them along the road, encouraging them to believe, and they're all feeling very positive and very happy. It's been the best walk they ever enjoyed, walking with Jesus for 25 miles. But 12a, you notice what it says. When he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold! Behold, they said, look at that. Nobody thought that was going to happen. Nobody expected that. But suddenly, as they get closer to Nain, someone says, hey, look, there's a group of people coming out of the gates. And after a few minutes, they see the casket and hear the wailing and the flute playing. And the whole group with Jesus stops and watches the funeral procession as it slowly comes out of the gates of Nain, I am very sure that the first impulse of those people with Jesus would have been to do what the culture prescribed and join the funeral procession and march along with them to the cemetery. They had probably all done that very thing many times in their own hometown. How far apart were they when they first sighted the funeral procession? A thousand yards? 500 yards? We don't know for sure. But there's a few moments of hesitation. What should we do? And the people look to Jesus. What will he do? Now do you see for the reason for my first question. Did Jesus know ahead of time that there would be a funeral procession along the road? No, I don't think so. It was just as much a surprise to Jesus as it was to the rest of the crowd. But as he looks at the funeral procession, he looks past the flute player's past the wailing women, and he spots the mother walking behind the casket, sobbing with a broken heart. Now Jesus walks straight towards that funeral procession with a determined step. He moves ahead of the group that's with him and walks straight toward the funeral procession. What he does next is quite fascinating. Verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said unto her, Weep not. He goes straight to the grieving widow woman and says to her, Weep not. But those are empty words when your wife or your husband, or your son is dead. Death, the unstoppable force, has claimed its victim, and that's the fact of the matter. Here's an interesting moment. If you look at the many times that Jesus healed somebody in the Bible, it's usually one of two scenarios. Usually it's a request. Come and heal my son. Or come and see my daughter. Or my servant is sick. Or sometimes it's a direct request. Jesus have mercy on me. Jesus I want to see. As a person asks for healing for themselves. But this time... No one asked Jesus for anything. No one asked for help. No one said to Jesus, please come, my son is dying. And no one in the group of people that was traveling with Jesus said, look, Jesus, can you help there? No one requested help. No one asked for mercy. And if I were to guess, probably the reason... And no one asked Jesus for help was because everyone thought, oh, it's too late now. The boy is already dead. So No one requested Jesus' help. So what made him take action? He saw a broken heart and he was full of compassion for that lady. And Jesus was moved in his own heart by the deep sorrow of the woman as she wept over the loss of her only son. Nobody asked him. But he was filled with such pity for the woman. I think his heart broke for her. I wonder, I just wonder, if he was thinking of his own mother. I wonder if he remembered that old Simeon back in the temple had said to Mary, Someday a sword will pierce your soul. And I wonder if he was thinking on his dying day what would his mother feel when he was crucified to a Roman cross? And how would he speak to his mother's broken heart on the day he was crucified? But on this day to this grieving mother he steps out, walks straight to her and says, don't cry, don't cry. And I wonder if this broken-hearted woman, as she looked at this stranger through her tears, I wonder if she thought it's easy for you to say, "Don't cry." But watch this, verse fourteen. He came and touched the bier. He walks to the wicker coffin. And reaches out and grabs it. It's shocking for the people. Of course, it wasn't what people ever did. If you touch someone dead, it was defiling. You just didn't do it. You didn't touch coffins. Of course, not for Jesus. Verse 14. He came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still, and he said, young man, I say to thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. Seven words. There's no prayers. No pleas with God. It's a straightforward command. Young man, arise. And the boy sat up in his coffin. And like a person who awakes from some deep sleep, he begins to speak. What's going on? Where am I? What are we doing? Why am I here? And the pallbearers got all they can do to keep from dropping the coffin. And the music stops. The wailing women cease the noise and a hushed silence. Falls over the whole crowd, stunned by the whole thing, into silence and into awe. They stare in amazement as Jesus grabs the boy by the hand and pulls him out of the coffin. And he leads him to his mother. And now her tears come from another source for her deep sorrow has been fully comforted in a moment's time. And Jesus has now given her the most joyful moment that she has ever known in her whole life. And she grabs him and clutches him to her heart. He's alive! He's alive! He's alive! My friends, it wasn't just two crowds that met that day by the gates of Nain. It was death in all of its terrible strength and power on one side, and on the other side, the prince of life. And you can see who really had all the power. Death surrendered immediately as Jesus tore the boy from its clutches in one command. Death had no power to resist the prince of life. Thank you, Jesus. My friends, what a day it will be when this same Jesus calling out one final time will say, arise, arise, arise! And the graves are all opened and all who ever died in Christ will arise in new bodies and meet Jesus in the air. What will Jesus do? He'll say to us, here's your loved ones. Here's your loved ones. You can have them back. Just like he did that day and name To my father, he'll say, here's your wife. To me, he'll say, here's your brother. Here's your sister. To all of us who love so dearly, yes, you will be reunited, never to be parted again. Jesus will say then to all the world, weep not, for in one great moment he will wipe away the tears from our eyes. It put an end to sadness and sorrow. Forevermore, what a day that will be. So Spread the news, verse 16. There came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet has risen up among us, that God has visited His people. And this rumor of Him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region thereabouts. Spread the news. Jesus heals the brokenhearted. And He, without being asked, will reach out to you, in your sorrow. And he will move in your behalf. To lift up your heart. Because he and he alone. Can stand by the coffin. And offer words of comfort. And he, he alone can touch the sorrow. That comes from great loss. And that's what happened. When two crowds met. By the gate of name. So come to him. He and he only. Can heal a broken heart. Only Jesus can say, weep not, and really back up what he says. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story. As it comes to our hearts, we think about what you did. It's quite stunning. And it's quite wonderful. Wonderful. And we look forward to a day when you command all of life and all of creation. And we crown you with many crowns on that day. So help us to bow the knee now while we can and to believe with all our hearts while we can that when the day comes of our sorrow we'll already have Jesus standing by our side. Make us wise to do that, we pray. Bless us as we think about you. In Jesus' name, amen. In closing, I can turn your hymn books, if you will. Number 145. Standing as we sing 145, Pass me not, O gentle Savior.
1: Age 145. you are powerful, that you have and you hold all of the power over life, you hold the keys of hell and death in your hand, there is nothing you have not conquered, we pray that we would give our hearts over to you and our lives over to you while we have the chance, while our hearts beat this very day. Turn our hearts and minds to you. Help us to lean to you. And wherever we are, whether we are in sorrow or trouble, struggle or joy, you come to meet us there. May you help us. Do not pass us by, Lord. We ask that you would come and visit us this day in our hearts, individually, Do not let anyone go away from this place without being touched by you. We are thankful for your great power and your love towards us. May we see and know that power in our life. And we are grateful that someday you will call all of us who have died in you back to be together. We are thankful for the great power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would watch over us and protect us. Bring us back to this place ready to worship again. We are thankful for this in your name.